Does it sound difficult? Exhausting? Exhausting? Does it sound fun? Not fun? Joshua? He wonders, am I going to make it? That's, those are all great answers, guys. Well, it might come as a surprise to many of you guys that throughout the New Testament, the Christian life is actually often compared to running in a race. For instance, there's a few passages that describe this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 26, Paul actually describes his ministry as a race in which he needs to maintain extreme focus and discipline so that other people would come to saving faith in the gospel. His ministry was like running a race. Likewise, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul actually urges the believers in Philippi to do all things without grumbling or complaining and so prove that Paul had not run his race of ministry in vain. Then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, at the very end of Paul's life, this is what he said. He said, I fought the good fight. I have finished the course, which is another term used for race. I have kept the faith. So you can see from many passages in the New Testament that living the Christian life can be compared to running in a race. It's as we minister to others, as we share the gospel with other people, as we endure trials and various forms of suffering in life, and even persecution, we're engaged in an endurance race. We're engaged in a struggle to the end of our earthly lives. And as Joshua said, it can be exhausting. It requires endurance. Well, today we're going to be studying probably one of the most helpful passages on the topic of running the Christian race, maybe in all of Scripture. It's going to be Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So if you guys haven't done so already, open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to be reading through verses 1 and 2 together. Follow along with me as I read. The author of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, as I said earlier, this passage is really one of the most helpful passages that describes the Christian life. Now, you might say, well, why is that? Well, it's because this passage teaches us exactly how we're to go about running the race. Some people have like running instructors. They tell them, those runners like how to move their arms as they run, how to put their feet and put them in a straight line, how to run off the balls of your feet. They have people telling them exactly how they're to run in order to maximize their effort in order to win the race. Well, that's a lot like what this text is doing for us here. It's telling us exactly how we're to run the race of the Christian life. It's a very brief instruction manual on how to run the race and win. So if you guys follow these instructions, guess what? You're guaranteed to finish the race well. Now, one of the things that I want you guys to notice as you look at the passage is that there's really one main command in the passage. 
the, the author implores us to follow one main thing in this text. What do you think that thing is? We are urged to do what? Look at your Bibles. Okay, that looks like a verb, but it's actually not a command in, in the Greek. That's good, though. What do we do? There you go. Let us run the race with endurance. Okay, that's the one command in this passage. We are to run in the race. Everything that surrounds that one main command teaches us how exactly we're to fulfill that command. Tells us how we're to do it. How are we to run this race? And this would have been super, super important for the people to whom this letter was written to. And you say, well, why? Well, because at the time of this writing, the people that the author is writing to were really kind of struggling in their faith. They needed encouragement to continue to persevere, to have endurance in their race of faith. Now, these were professing Jewish believers, and they're kind of wavering in the face of persecution and suffering during the time of this writing. These people had claimed to place their faith in Jesus as their long-awaited Messiah, but then as time passed and then suffering kind of increased, they wondered whether or not Jesus really was who he claimed to be. They wondered, was he really the Messiah? Was he truly the mediator of the new covenant? Was he really the once and for all sacrifice for sins? Was he the great high priest who now intercedes on behalf of believers. They were wondering these things, and they were wavering in their faith. And it was with these questions in mind that many of the Jewish Christians were kind of in danger of straying. They were in danger of drifting away from the faith and kind of falling away from the true and living God. So how does the author of Hebrews respond to that? Well, he responds to their situation and he exhorts these professing Jewish Christians to maintain steadfast faith in Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is superior to all other things. These believers were not to waver in the face of suffering and persecution. They were not to turn back to their old religious traditions. They needed to patiently hold firm to their faith. As our text states this morning, they needed to run the race with endurance. They needed to persevere, to hold fast, to remain faithful to the Lord until the end of their lives. And this same command, this same exhortation, this same encouragement is needed by me today, and it's needed by all of you guys, right? We're now sitting in a time almost 2,000 years after this text was written and we're still awaiting Jesus' return, aren't we? And for most of us, and maybe you guys would argue with this, but becoming a Christian really doesn't make life easier, does it? How many of you, if you're a Christian here, has becoming a Christian made life maybe a little bit more challenging and complex? Yeah, in certain ways it makes life more difficult. We still face suffering and persecution we still face difficulties a lot like the believers to whom this letter was written. Family and friends might reject us because of our faith. We can get overlooked for like awards and achievements in school or in sports because people just simply don't like what it is that we stand for and believe in. 
We're often treated poorly by our classmates or our co-workers or even our neighbors sometimes because we trust in Jesus. And sometimes people might even threaten us or make fun of us or mock us because we trust in Jesus. Now, this is difficult, and that can hurt us deeply at times, right? So, how are we to endure these type of things? How are we to endure suffering and hardship? How do we persevere in our faith throughout our lives? In essence, the question we should all be asking ourselves is, how do we run the Christian race? Well, thankfully, the author of Hebrews has the answer right here for us. I summarize the text in this way, and you guys have these notes there on your handout. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we're provided three actions to take to faithfully run the race of the Christian life. Three actions to take to faithfully run the race of the Christian life. Now, before we dive specific, specifically into those three actions, we really need to answer a very important question. Number one is like, how do we get into the race? Is this race voluntary? Do we have an option to run in this race? This kind of reminds me, like you guys may not know this about me, but I like to do like mountain bike events or, or big cycling, cycling events. Um, it's just one of my hobbies that I enjoy doing. And every once in a while, my brother likes to do these events with me. He'll send me like a list of mountain bike races for us to potentially join. And I'll just kind of scroll through and I'll see, well, what's the entrance fee of that one? Oh, it's too expensive. Well, how long is that race? Okay, I don't think I'm in good enough shape to do that one. And I'll just kind of go through and see how much money do I have? How much time do I have to train? And I have options. I can pick and choose which race that I want to join based on what I feel like doing. Do you think that that's the case in the Christian race? Do we have an option to run? What do you guys think? Some are shaking their heads. Do we have an option to run? The answer is no. You are commanded to run in the race. The Bible states that you begin the Christian race the very moment that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. In other words, you enter the race the very moment of your conversion. Then, guess what? You're simply commanded to run. It's not optional. If you're a believer, you're in the race. You're on the track. There's no timeouts. There's no breaks. There's no options to turn around and quit. You're on the racetrack. You're in the race, and now you have to run it. You've got to run it. So now you have to decide, will I run it well and do the commands that are listed here, or will I fail in the way that I run this race? But then you might ask yourself, well, Jordan, what, what if you're not a believer? Do you have a choice in the matter if you're not a, a believer? And I would actually say, in a certain way, no, you don't have really an option either. Well, why do I say that? Well, in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, Paul declares that all people everywhere, all people everywhere, does that include you guys? Does that include me? Does that include the people in India and in China? Yeah, all people everywhere are commanded by God to repent, to place their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation because God has fixed a day in the future when he's going to judge the world in righteousness 
through Jesus Christ. So, if you're here today and you're not a believer, guess what? You're commanded by God to get on the racetrack. You're commanded by God to turn away from your sins, to trust in Jesus, and to begin your race today. You can be certain that if you disobey this command, right, because it's a command, in the future, you're going to be judged for your disobedience to this command to repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. All of us everywhere are commanded to engage in and to run this race. It's not optional for anyone. So anyone who chooses not to run, they're going to be judged. If you've already trusted in Jesus, start running your race well and obey these commands that are given to us here. So we have to ask ourselves, how do I run this race successfully? I want to run it. How do I do it well? Well, again, like I said earlier, there are three actions to take to faithfully run the race of the Christian life. And the first is this. You must learn from your forerunners. Learn from your forerunners. Anybody know what a forerunner is? What's a forerunner? Not a Toyota. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, somebody that came before us, right? So look at the first part of verse 1. The author says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us run the race with endurance. Now, what you guys need to know and what's going to help you to read your Bibles well is that word therefore signifies that this passage is actually connected to what came before it. It's telling us that the exhortation, this command that's found here, is directly tied to everything that's found in Hebrews chapter 11. So do any of you guys know the nickname for Hebrews 11? What do people call that chapter in the Bible? The chapter of faith, yeah, that's one way to put it. The hall of faith is another nickname for it, okay? So it's often called the hall of faith because it describes many, many people who walked by faith in obedience to God no matter what the cost might have been to their lives. So for the purposes of our passage this morning, the hall of faith really functions as an encouragement to us because in reading about the lives of those people who are described in Hebrews 11 we can learn that this race is worth running, that we can finish the task. Why? Because all those people who were just like us, just ordinary people who were placing their faith in God, had run the race successfully, had completed the task. Now, look at how the author of our passage describes the people mentioned in Hebrews 11. What does he call them? A cloud of witnesses right now when you hear that they're witnesses what do you think that that means what are they witnesses to what are they witnesses of Nadella okay okay like they're witnesses to the the gospel message to a certain extent that might be true Nice, okay? So when you read that they are witnesses, okay, that doesn't mean like there are heavenly spectators looking on from heaven and watching all of us as we run our Christian life. Oh, oh there's Kia Block, okay, she's running well today, and okay, there's uh, Nadella, and oh, here she goes again. And they're not watching us from heaven and seeing whether or not we're going to stumble and fall in our race and watching to see how well we're running. 
In fact, rather, they are set forth as, like Elias said, they're examples of men and women who trusted God and suffered greatly for it. They persevered in their faith. They trusted in God's promises and did not waver in the face of difficulty. They trusted in God's word and persevered despite all the obstacles that came their way. And they did what God commanded no matter what God commanded them to do. So the men and women described in Hebrews 11 function as witnesses to how the race of faith is run. They bear testimony to how despite suffering and difficulty and even severe persecution, normal believers, just like everybody in this room, can persevere in our own race of faith. And I would suggest, and we don't have time today to do an in-depth study of Hebrews 11, but it's from those people that we can learn how to worship the Lord even if our family disowns us, even if our own friends and family even threaten to take our lives. That's listed out in Hebrews 11. It's from them that we can learn how to trust God even in the midst of a corrupt culture. Do we live in a very godly culture right now? Do you think it would be helpful to go back to Hebrews 11 and learn how those people walked by faith in the middle of a very difficult and corrupt culture? They teach us how to do that. From them, we can learn how to sacrifice all of our earthly comforts for the sake of following the Lord, even if it means being persecuted and suffering or even being mocked because of our faith. And it's from them that we can learn how to deny our own sinful desires and walk by faith in obedience to the Lord. So the examples laid out in Hebrews 11 teach us that this race that we're in is worth running and that we can and will persevere. But maybe right now you guys are thinking, this is hard. You know, maybe things are difficult for you at school. Well, guess what? You guys can learn from the examples of Hebrews chapter 11. This race is worth running. Maybe you're thinking, well, my home life is difficult. Like I seem to be the only one that truly wants to follow the Lord in my home, and things are just very challenging for me there. Well, guess what? The examples of Hebrews chapter 11 teach us that you can run the race successfully. And maybe there's people in your life that kind of mock you or make fun of you because of your faith and you're in sports and stuff and you stick out like a sore thumb because you don't talk like the rest of the people there and you don't act like the rest of the people there. Well, for you, if you learn from the examples of the people who ran before you, you can draw strength to persevere even in the middle of that type of difficulty. So that's the first action that you need to take to faithfully run the race of the Christian life. We need to learn from the lives of those people who have run it before us. And second, to faithfully run the race of the Christian life, you also must let go of your entanglements. You need to let go of your entanglements. Look again at verse 1. The author says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Do you think there is one thing to let go of here in this passage or two things? How many things are we encouraged to let go of here? I really don't want to have to pick on you again. <laughs> Anybody else? One thing or two things? Let us also lay aside every encumbrance 
and the sin which so easily entangles us. I might be giving it away there. Go ahead. Two things. Two things, yeah. So we're commanded by God to get rid of or to let go of two things in this passage. And the first thing he tells us to get rid of or to lay aside is what? Every encumbrance. And you say, well, what in the world does that mean? How do I lay aside every encumbrance? What are those things? Well, you need to know that the word encumbrance is a term used to describe like a weight or a burden or some type of impediment. It's something that hinders you from doing something. It weighs you down. And because of its presence in your life, you're not able to perform the task at hand at your very best. Now, this kind of reminds me of like athletes, like cyclists or triathletes. Do you guys ever see like are cyclists or triathletes ever like 500-pound guys that get on their bike and <laughs> try to pedal as hard as they can up these hills and mountains, you know? No, they're not, right? If you look at a cyclist or a triathletes, these people compete with very little fat on their bodies, and all of their clothing and their gear and everything that their bike has, they're, they're as light and as aerodynamic as they can possibly be. Why do you think that is? What's that? So that it's easier to ride, so that they can perform at their very best during a long and difficult race. It's so that they won't have anything weighing them down. They won't have any encumbrances that get in their way. So to a cyclist or to a triathlete, any extra weight hinders that person from competing at their very best. If you have too much weight, you're guaranteed you're not going to win the race. Well, the same thing is true for us as believers as we run the race of faith. Here, we're called to get rid of everything that might weigh us down and hinder us from running the race with endurance. But then, as I said before, I said that there's two things, right? There's encumbrances, and then there's sin that entangles us. So what is it that these encumbrances are? Well, I think the author's getting at here is anything in our lives as Christians that hinder us from walking with the Lord and growing as disciples of Jesus Christ. Anything. This includes things that are not necessarily bad things in and of themselves. It could be perfectly good or neutral things if those things keep us from pursuing the Lord in the race of faith. So when you guys think about where you're at in your lives, you know, we've got junior hires all the way through seniors in high school, what is it that you think might become a weight or a distraction in your own lives? Could be good and neutral things, but if they distract you from walking with the Lord, it's become an encumbrance. Rachel. Okay. Yeah, certain types of entertainment. That's good. Yeah, like certain forms of entertainment might might not be very helpful for you. Nadella? Okay, yeah, relationships, certain non-Christian friends that you're around, they can become a hindrance to your walk with the Lord, a distraction. Joshua? Certain types of books. Yeah, you guys, are, you're, you guys are following. These things are kind of like neutral type things, but if they're getting in the way of your ability to 
wholeheartedly follow the Lord, that thing has become an, endur- uh, an encumbrance, right? It could be relationships, too much time on social media, which I think is a massive issue in your guys' generation. Uh, leisure activities, hobbies, sports. It's anything that distracts you from running the race faithfully and strengthening your relationship with the Lord. I struggle with these things too. I've got to fight against the temptation for leisure activities and comfort. But we have to put those things behind us. We have to take those things off if we're to run the race of the Christian life faithfully. But I told you, not only are we to let go of what weighs us down, right? Those things that weigh us down and encumber us. But then the author tells us that we must let go of or get rid of or take off everything that trips us up as well. And what is it that trips us up? What does the author say here? It's sin, right? Look again at the middle of verse 1. The author says, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Now, what this means for us as believers is that we need to strive towards removing from our lives every thought, word, and action that opposes God's moral will and character. We don't want to commit sin, right? Just because we've been saved by grace alone through faith in Jesus alone doesn't mean that we just get to continue to walk in unrepentant sin, Rather, it's us more than anybody else in this world, right? Those people who have been saved by the grace and mercy of God who should recognize how bad sin really is, how bad we really are, and we should desire to turn away from that sin and walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. We should not tolerate any sin in our life, even if you think it's the norm. Well, everybody that's my age gossips. It's It's not that big of a deal, right, to talk about that person over there. Everybody that's my age has a little bit of pride in their hearts. They they kind of compete and oppose other people, and they, they want to do what's best for them. Everybody's a little bit selfish, right? Guys, those are those respectable sins that we address all summer long, right? Even those types of sins, and we all deal with them in our own hearts. We need to turn away from that. And we need to pursue the Lord with our entire heart, soul, mind, and strength. We should not tolerate any, any type of sin in our lives. So, you should be asking yourself, is there any sin that you're currently holding on to in your life? Maybe there's some type of secret sin that you have that you just don't want to tell your friends You don't want to tell your D group leader. You don't want to tell your parents because you're harboring that sin and you're holding it dearly and you don't want anybody to find out about that. Well, I would urge you guys to confess that sin. Seek help. Let your parents know about it so that they can help you to fight against that sin, to overcome it, and to help you to remove that from your life. You cannot tolerate sin in your life. You have to remove it. So the author here tells us that these these encumbrances must be removed. These sins must be thrown off, and it's only as we get rid of the sin that so easily entangles us that we will be able to faithfully run the Christian race. So we've seen two things so far, right? Two actions to take. We need to learn from our forerunners, and we need to let go of our entanglements. Well, finally, we come to the third action that we need to take in order to faithfully run the race of the Christian life. 
lastly, we need to look to our Savior. Look to your Savior. Look at verse 2. This is probably the most encouraging portion of this passage, although the entire passage is super encouraging. But here the author tells us to run the race with endurance, doing what? How do we do it? By fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, did what for us? He endured the cross, despising the shame, and now he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The third action to take to faithfully run the Christian race well is to focus your full attention upon Jesus. We are to look with undivided attention to our Savior. We are not to become distracted by the problems and the persecutions of this world, but to remain focused on Him. You say, well, why? Well, first the author states that Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. It tells us that Jesus is the ultimate example of faith. He's the model. He's the champion. He's the leader. He's the one that blazed the trail of how the life of faith is lived. He's the preeminent example of faith, and he's the one who ran the race of faith to its triumphant finish and secured the salvation of countless sinners throughout the world and throughout time. You say, well, how did he, how did he do that? Well, he did this by becoming a man, by living in perfect obedience to God the Father, and then by ultimately laying his life down so that people just like you and me could be saved from the punishment that our sins deserve. Jesus re resisted temptation. He completed the task he was given, and he paved the way for sinners like us to be reconciled to God. Do you think if you're an unbeliever here today that you're currently at peace with God? You're not. You need Jesus. Jesus is the only means by which your relationship with God can be reconciled. And you have to turn away from your sinful lifestyle and trust in Him alone in order to be saved. Why? Because Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. There's no one better to look to than him. You need to fix your full attention, fix your gaze upon Jesus. But not only is Jesus the author and perfecter of faith, but second, we need to focus on him because he's the Savior who endured the cross. Your text right there says in verse 2, Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. Again, and I want you guys to remember this, the central point of this passage is to encourage us and to motivate us as believers to persevere in our faith. We're encouraged here to persevere until the end. We're encouraged to have endurance in the face of difficulty and suffering and opposition. And Jesus here, as in the entire letter, is presented as the one who's above all else. He's superior to all things, and he's our supreme example to follow in this. He's the one that gives us the strength we need to endure in order to run our own race faithfully because he endured the greatest suffering ever experienced in human history. Do you guys think I'm exaggerating there? 
Why did he experience the greatest suffering ever endured in human history? How can we say that? Okay, yeah, he endured the full weight of God's wrath against sinners just like us. So it was on the cross that not only did Jesus suffer excruciating pain and die an agonizingly slow and torturous and shameful death at the hands of sinful men, but he also, exactly like Elias just said, he bore the full wrath of God as a substitute sacrifice for sinful people just like you and just like me. He took the penalty that our sins deserve. He bore the iniquity of our sins upon himself, and he secured the salvation of countless people throughout the world. And amazingly, the text says that he did this for the joy set before him, despising the shame. Now, you guys might wonder, and you might ask yourself, well, what does that mean, that he despised the shame? Is that saying that Jesus despised the fact that he had to die for sinners? Do you think that that's the case? No. No, that's not what this means at all. What this means is that Jesus did not consider the shame of the cross to be important enough to be concerned about when it was compared to the joy which was set before him. So to him, the shame of the cross was nothing in comparison to the joy of securing the salvation of innumerable sinners in obedience to the Father and then being exalted to, the right, to his rightful place at the right hand of the throne of God. Guys, Jesus knew what he was doing on the cross. And he willingly submitted himself to the cross's shame, knowing that his exaltation to the right hand of the Father awaited him. He knew that his sacrifice was the chief demonstration of God's love and justice and mercy towards mankind. He knew that he had to endure the shame of the cross to bring many sinners to glory, and he considered such a death this is important, guys. You need to pay attention here because this should be an encouragement to you. He considered such a death to be nothing, to be nothing in comparison to the joy of your salvation, if you're a believer, and his own exaltation. This should be encouraging for you to know because as you set your eyes on Jesus... And you remember that he endured the cross on your behalf and considered it nothing in comparison to the joy that was to come for him, that you too can be strengthened to endure your own trials and your own difficulties in life. He suffered the most extreme form of suffering that's ever been experienced in human history so that you guys might be able to run your race well, so that you guys might be able to go home and be with him in heaven one day so that you guys could endure suffering and hardship and recognize that you have a Savior who loves you and is now exalted at the right hand of the throne of God and now intercedes on your behalf. He did that for you. But do you guys recognize that? Do you recognize the significance of what Jesus has done for you? Do you recognize that Jesus is alive right now? That's great news for anybody who's trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Great news, because Jesus now intercedes on your behalf. That's horrifying news to those people who have not trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. 
Why? Because God commands you to repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you do not do that, he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is coming back. He will judge the world because he is alive. He's exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. He's our mediator. He's our substitute sacrifice. God calls you to trust in him and to fix your eyes on him if you are to run your own race of faith well. So students, as we look at such an awesome and encouraging passage like this, I want you guys to be walking away asking yourselves a few questions. The first is this, and it's probably the most important question that you'll ever answer in your entire life. Are you in the race? Are you in the race? This race is described here for Christians. It's for those who have repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus for salvation. It's for those people who have recognized how bad their life is, how sinful they are before a holy God, and have been rescued by God from the punishment that their sins deserve. Now, I don't know the reasons why many of you guys are here today in student ministry or here today at church. Maybe you're here today just because you're checking things out or a friend invited you and you're like, ah, I guess I'll go to church. That's cool. But this whole Jesus thing you don't really care about and you don't want, want to be involved with it in your life. Maybe you're here today just because you're trying to keep up with your family tradition. Maybe you're just trying to, to uh, come to church because all of your friends are here. And you think it's a great place to socialize. You just want to chat. You just want to hang out. You just want to play the game. You want to do Bible trivia. And that's why you're here. This whole Jesus thing, you're just kind of like, eh. That's for the weak. I'm too strong for that. Maybe you're here because your parents force you to be here. And you really have no interest in being here whatsoever. Now, whatever your reason is for being here, I would urge you, if you have not in started your race, God commands you to get on the track. Start your race today. Turn away from your sins. Trust in Christ alone for salvation. Your race of faith can start today. You need to know that Jesus, as the exalted Savior of the world, is your only means of salvation. He's your only hope. That's why you need to fix your eyes on him. But to the rest of you guys who are maybe in the race, maybe you're in the Christian race and your life has kind of gotten difficult over the past maybe several years or maybe several weeks or several months or maybe even the past few days, and you're just wondering, whew, this is tough. People don't seem to like me because I'm a Christian. In fact, it's made most of my relationships with my old friends super hard. In fact, there's a lot of people at school that I used to get along with pretty well that just seem to, like, ignore me now. Life is hard. You know, I'm on this sports team, and everybody seems to kick the ball to everybody else, and I just kind of, like, stand off to the side by myself, and nobody seems to want to hang out with me or participate with me in the game. It seems like it's just because I'm different than them. I'd love to be able to play, but they just seem to dislike me. And you might be wondering, well, can I finish this? Do I want to run this race? Do I have the endurance to persevere? Is this Christian race worth running? 
Well, my hope would be that you guys found this passage as encouraging as I do, as encouraging as it's intended to be. The author here wants you guys to be encouraged. He wants you guys to persevere. He wants you to get on the track. He wants you to win the race. He wants you to run it faithfully to the end. That's why he tells you how to run the race. It takes action. You've got to learn from your forerunners. You've got to let go of your entanglements, and you need to look to Jesus. And guess what? If you do those things, you are guaranteed to finish the race set before you. Is it going to take effort? 100%. Is it going to take endurance? It certainly will. Will you be victorious? Well, because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in heaven, your victory in the Christian life is 100% guaranteed. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so grateful for this passage. I'm grateful for this text. I just pray that it would be an encouragement to all the students here that uh, they would recognize that you are worth following, you are worth trusting in, that our whole heart should be directed towards serving you and that you are a God that can be trusted in all things, even if we face suffering and persecution and difficulty in this life. Lord, we're so grateful that you're the one that enables us to persevere in these things. You're the one that enables us to obey you in taking these steps, taking these actions, Lord. But uh, we do just ask that you would help us to look to our forerunners, to let go of our entanglements, to look to Jesus because he is the author and perfecter of faith and he now intercedes for us at your right hand and we are just so grateful for that good news. We love you and we thank you for this day and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.